It's a blessing to gather here tonight. I'm Father John Rutten, the chaplain here at the Newman Center, and uh, grateful for this unique opportunity in the United States to, uh, through the Eucharistic Revival to have these relics of Blessed Carlo Acutis and uh, St. Manuel. Um, and in addition to these, it's nice to have other friends. So uh, the other relics I was able have been, they found me over the years. I'm grateful and thankful to uh, Kenna, to your Bible study group that put together the flyers and the information about each of these saints and blesseds that we are in it with tonight. So um, to begin with, I'm going to ask that uh, you pass these two things around. I'm going to start on the outside, so you can pass them around, and then pass them around to the inside, and then once they get to the inside, you can bring them here. Just uh, take a whiff of these and then pass them on. When those get around to the front, someone can wave at me and I will pick those up. So we're here tonight uh, to talk about saints and relics. Uh, grateful to have area parishioners and the students uh, from St. Agnes Parish uh, with us tonight. Why is it that relics and saints matter? Well, primarily they matter uh, because we're human beings. Because we're persons. And a person is an embodied soul. And your body is matter. And that's why relics and saints matter. Spirits are connected to matter. So the soul comes through matter. It's connected. There isn't a person that doesn't have both a body and a soul. And because of this, then, we recognize the necessity of uh, the body. All of the information that you gain in your life, all of the knowledge that you have in your life comes through your senses, right? Your body. And so that principle reminds us that we are given access. And God created you this way. And not only has he created you this way, then he sustains you and he redeems you in this way as well. God chose the same method of creation in order to bring about redemption. And so he became one of us, right? The presence of Christ is the reminder that God took on human flesh, the great gift of the incarnation, so when he wanted to give his greatest gift to all of us, you know, creating everybody, and, uh, but when he wanted to give the greatest gift, uh, he didn't send a big spiritual bomb. Right? He didn't send the Holy Spirit. Right? He could have sent the Holy Spirit and like poured out over everybody in a particular way and had the Holy Spirit like touch upon people. No, he became one of us. That's how God desired to redeem fallen humanity. And so the body matters. And we realize that in this, not only did the incarnation affect the way in which God wanted to do this, but it affected the saints and the, the apostles in particular. And we realize that they began to, realize, to discover that they were the body, that they were a part of it. In Corinthians, St. Paul says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Right? You are the body of Christ. 
you, he's saying to the Corinthians. And so we recognize the relevance of the human person to this continuation. St. Peter, we have becoming aware of this power that they had, right? The apostles discovered that they had the same power that Jesus had. Jesus went around healing people. He went around doing all of these miraculous things. People were changed in his presence. People were, uh, began to gather around. So we have this scripture passage where if we just listen, it talks about Peter and John, and it says this. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. You could say like, one day a bunch of people were going to come at 6.05 p.m. to Vermilion, South Dakota, right? Now, a man who was lame from birth and was carried in the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What's the most important part of this whole scripture passage in regard to what we're talking about tonight? Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. Peter didn't say, look at Jesus. Peter didn't say, pray to Jesus. Peter didn't say, I'll pray to Jesus. Peter said, look at us. What happened through the flesh of God, Jesus Christ, somehow miraculously starts happening through Peter and John. It's not that they're like this like highway. They're like, okay, let me get you onto the overpass. Let me put you on 50 so you can go around Vermilion. Right? I mean, we have to like really think, look at us. They were so confident in who they were and what had happened to them because of their baptism and because of the life and death of Jesus Christ. Paul saying, it is not I, but he who lives in me. They were so confident of all of this. They had seen so much happen in the beginning. They were surprised. 
They were so confident of all of this. They knew you, you look at us and watch what happens. We're all called to this life. That's why relics and saints matter. First, it happened to the apostles and the disciples, and even in their weakness, right? We know the traditional story of Peter, who after all of his time with Jesus, after everything, he leaves Rome because of the persecutions, right? All of Peter's weakness. Peter wasn't a strong man that was able, I'm going to be known for founding the church. Uh, you know, Jesus chose me. Jesus. No, in all of his weakness, I'm fleeing when things get tough. What happens? Jesus shows up on the path, says, where are you? And then Peter's like, where are you going? Because Jesus was walking into Rome. They were passing each other, the risen Lord. Where are you going? And he says, I'm going back to be crucified again. And then Peter turns around and goes in. Right? Even in Peter's weakness, God uses him and he healed the beggar. Yes, by the power of Christ, but how quick it is for us to just move to that and forget the incarnation, the radicalness that through flesh, God's transforming grace is given to us. But if we look at our own lives, we can see that we already do this in lots of realms, right? Don't, don't we do this with coaching? Don't we do this with physicians? Don't we do this with teachers, right? We ask for another person to be an instrument of something that we need. God doesn't change the method with which ordinary things happen. He makes something extraordinary happen through the ordinary method. And this is where we're transformed. This is where we grow in faith. We can say, I don't know how that happened. Except somehow he's here. Right? And so we know the gift of the spiritual dynamic that comes. And this is why we pray and ask for prayers from people. Right? Then who do we ask prayers from people from? Right? Well, whoever might be there. But don't you ask like grandma and grandpa get the prayer. When you really need help, you call grandma and grandpa because they pray the rosary every night. <laughs> or in my family, it was you called the Carmelites in Alexandria, right? The missionaries went there today. The, my, my, I mean, if you needed help, they were on, you were calling the Carmelites. And I couldn't stand. I was like, please. What are they going to do? Like, I mean, (laughs) like, and then as I started growing in holiness, I got to a point one day where I really needed a lot of help, but I thought, maybe I should call the Carmelites. (laughs) Right? Why do you call, why do you ask certain people? Because you believe those people somehow are closer you may be I don't even understand what closer means, but you're like that one, right? When I talk to young people, when I talk to high school students, when I talk to college students, they always, in the depths of their heart, they always know that grandma and grandpa, well, while maybe I don't like going to mass, but somehow I know grandma and grandpa, they're doing what they're supposed to do, right? And so you go to them when time gets tough, when you're going the wrong way, when you're in need, you like go to the deeper source. So what is this revealing to us about humanity? What it's revealing to us is that certain people are closer. It doesn't mean we aren't all loved, but certain people are closer and we decide to intuit that. 
Saints are just an awareness that once someone has left this earth, they actually are the closest to God. And so we continue to ask for their prayers. Confident that God can answer them. And yet knowing that it isn't a slot machine, it's, you know, when you ask mom and dad for prayer, when you ask people for something, you don't always get what you want, but you grow in confidence that something good is happening here. And if God wants that, it can happen. And so we have the saints. And the church assures us that They are in heaven. The church assures us that their life on earth was something worth emulating. And this is why we have the process called canonization. So what is canonization? Canonization is a way in which the church goes through stages of approval to help us know that someone is worth emulating. Sam's uh, in the back. If you don't have a sheet, if you'd raise your hand, uh, if you don't have the packet with a staple, Everybody should have a packet with the staples. Sam's going to come around and get that to you. We'll make sure you all have one. So the stages of approval, what are they? The first stage of approval, right? And this is all in your handout, the one-page handout, just in the outline, uh, is a servant of God. The servant of God is basically given a, a title given when the, the body of the servant of God is exhumed at this stage and it be, it's an examination has begun. At this point, the church is saying, okay, based on what you've all said, we think it would be worth looking into. Now, at this stage, the church could say, nope, not going to do it. We don't think that's worth it. Now, what do I mean when I say the church? The local bishop and the congregation for saints that's in Rome. Okay, so your local bishop must be a part of this. If the local bishop isn't buying it or isn't, a part of it, it's not going to go very far. But at the point of servant of God, the the congregation, Vatican, has said this is worth looking into. And a certification is made that no superstitious or heretical worship or improper cult has grown up around the servant or his or her tomb. Okay? So the church is saying there isn't weird stuff. You don't, you know, sometimes weird stuff happens. At this point, you don't have to worry about that. And at this point, relics are taken. We'll get to what relics are. The second stage is to be called venerable. At the point of being venerable, the church has basically examined the person's life and determined that they lived heroic virtue. Right? Some of the college students might understand when you really want to, like, I could have used the example of the high school students, but I don't think high school, usually high school students are just living life, loving life, everything's good, right? You guys just got it. But when you get to college, all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, in a couple of years, I'm going to have to like do this thing on my own, right? And you start recognizing other people and you're like, wow, that person really has their act together, right? You ever notice that? Like certain people just seem to have their act together, When I was living in the Sigma Alpha Epsilon fraternity, I lived down in what was called the pit. And the pit was usually for people that didn't have their act together. (laughs) But there was one guy down there named Gary. And when we'd wake up on Sunday mornings, Gary's book bag was always missing. 
because he was already studying. Gary had his act together, right? Some people have their act together. The venerable stage is a point with which the church says that man or woman had their act together, right? They lived a virtuous life already. The church also makes no statement on the person's probable presence um, in heaven at this point. Um, Or no, they're they're certain. At this point, the, the church... You can be certain that they have the presence in heaven. And prayer cards and other materials are printed at this stage, right? So you start like praying. And why are you praying and making these cards in their faces and saying through their intercession, why are you doing that? You make little cards, have the face of Father Joe Vogel on them. And on the back, it says, Father Joe Vogel, through your intercession, may my uh, acne go away. (laughs) Because you want a miracle. Right? The next stage doesn't happen unless you can directly attribute a miracle to the request of this person. And so this is the stage where you say, here's cards, let's start praying, let's expand everybody's awareness of who this person was, we think they're, we know they're in heaven, and let's just start asking God to do what he did with St. Peter through this one. Okay, so then when those things happen at a particular stage, if there is one miracle that happens, they become worthy of belief that the person is definitely heaven and and having achieved salvation and a feast day is designated for that person. And from that point, then, they sort of become a part of the liturgical life of the church. It's always a big question. Well, it was for us. I don't know everywhere else. Once they're blessed, can you include them in lists of the communion of saints? (laughs) Because people always, at your ordination, you always want to have, you know, your friends. And it's like, well, my friend isn't a saint yet. You know, can you? Uh, yes, you can. Right? And then once the, that happens, once they're called blessed, then you continue to pray. And at the point with which a second miracle is attributed to the intercession of this person that has to be verified scientifically, they have a huge process with which that happens, uh, then the church calls together all of the cardinals and the church would um, canonize that person. When they're made a blessed, they usually do it in the person's home area. And when they're canonized a saint, they do it in the Vatican, in St. Peter's Square. It was a huge blessing to be there for the canonization of St. Charles Foucault, right? A friend of mine, someone who is close to God and has helped me grow in love with Jesus Christ. They have power, but their power is because of their closeness to Jesus Christ, right? And their desire to intercede for us and to assist us just like our parents and our grandparents and our godparents and our friends. And they then become the instruments of these miracles that happen in this world. For 2,000 years, this is the way in which the church has seen miracles occur, right? Jesus doesn't just drop down miracle things like a stork dropping babies, Jesus changes you and gives you power and then through you, miracles happen. Okay? Now he can still do miracles through the Blessed Sacrament and through other sacraments, but even the sacraments, right? Happen through me. 
right? Somebody can have a transformation through praying scripture, right? But even the scriptures aren't Jesus's writing. We don't have Jesus's writing. Every transformation that happens to somebody because of sacred scripture happened through an instrumental cause. St. Paul, St. Peter, St. Luke, St. James. Whoever wrote that book was the instrumental cause. It's always been that way. And still is today. That God chooses to give grace and miracles and healings and transformations and draw people closer to God through a person for 2,000 years. We have many stories of these people. They're in your handouts as you go around. Padre Pio is somebody who has a great hold on everybody's imagination. And Padre Pio, for me, is an example of how in God's mysterious ways, you never know how the influence of someone will spread. The man bilocated. They have stories of planes during the the Second World War that would see him outside the, the plane, flying outside the plane. The man fought the devil. Right? He had visions that you can't even imagine. He would know people's confessions before they said them. Right? There's a story of a woman who was blind at birth because she didn't have retina. She didn't, you know, you need like the retina in your eye. Right? There's a story of a woman, she was gonna, her aunt, I think, was gonna go, it's in the bottom of your sheet, you can go and look it up on YouTube, uh, the lady's name, and, and she was gonna, her aunt or somebody was gonna go and pray to Padre Pio, and the woman, I don't even think, had to go there, and all of a sudden, she regained her sight. But you know what? She still doesn't have the retina. You aren't supposed to be able to see. And yet she can see. Like God didn't even, the miracle isn't even that she got the retina. She just can see. Why is Padre Pio so famous? Actually, not in America. Not actually just because of those amazing things, although he had stigmata and he was really amazing. But because during World War II, American soldiers became aware of him and they would all travel down in Italy, the ones that were in Italy, and they would go down and visit him. Right? He had a huge influence in the military personnel. And then what happens? They all came back to America. And then these little Seneca groups started popping up of people who were helping Padre Pio and praying little prayer groups from Padre Pio. And then how do you think that hospital got built that he built that was such an amazing, miraculous thing? People over here probably sent them money. Right? You just never know the way in which circumstances in life are going to be ways in which God's grace continues to work in this world. Profound things happen through ordinary people when we let Jesus Christ do with us what it is he wants to do. Why is it that relics matter? Relics matter because saints matter. And saints matter because Jesus matters. And Jesus matters because God chose the incarnation. Why do relics matter? Because saints matter. Why do saints matter? Because Jesus matters. And why does Jesus matter? Because God chose to become one of us in flesh, to bring the transforming grace into this world. Where are my little trinkets? You can bring them up. Either one of you want to give a guess to what it is that you're smelling? It's what? Okay. Anything else? So one of them is powder, right? 
And one of them is like uh, oil base. And they both have a fragrance. You know what these are? This is Estee Lauder that my mother wore. When I smell this, all kinds of things happen to me. Memories of my mother flood back. Desire awakens in me to be close to her again. People could pass by this fragrance and just move on. People could not even like this fragrance. But when the fragrance, when the tangibility of the thing is connected to someone that has loved you, it changes everything. And that's just my mom. At her funeral, people kept telling me over and over again, your mother's a saint. At my dad's funeral, people kept telling me over and over again, your dad's a saint. And I knew that they meant it, actually. But you know what? I didn't believe them. Because I wasn't confident that God could work through broken instruments. I didn't understand the desire of God to take a human person that has weaknesses, that has a journey that isn't yet complete, and to use grace to pour out into this world. I thought the people had to be perfect. I thought the people had to be on their knees every day. I thought the people had to know all of their prayers. I thought the people had to have the right thing to say at the right time. I thought the people had to fill churches. But the more I get to know the saints and the blessed, their real stories, the more I realize I think some of you are on your Because I see what happens when people come around you. I see the experience of what people say when they're with you. And that's the things that are told about with the saints. Relics are merely versions of this. But because of who they were, they're closer. And so are the relics that we have. On your sheet, it lists the three classes of relics. The first class is to have a piece of their body, often a bone or a hair or a fragment. Blessed Carlo Acutis here is a piece of his heart. Like a part of like a, uh, it would be flesh, a part of his heart. Second class relic is to have a piece of clothing or personal property from the saint. Right? My mom, I couldn't find it, but my mom used to carry a statue of Padre Pio. And what nobody knew is uh, on the statue of Padre Pio is only about that far. On his belt, that he had a little belt, 
on the part of the belt that was going down was a cord that was actually from Padre Pio. She super glued it <laughs> onto the statue. I'm like, why would you super glue that? That's a second class relic. <laughs> she didn't want to lose it. <laughs> Somebody would have thrown a little piece of cord away, but they aren't going to throw the Padre Pio statue away. A third class relic is when you touch something to a first or a second class relic. Now, the principle behind relics is a principle we see in reality. Where there is a part, you have the whole. Right? So we believe this about the Eucharist. Where you have a part, you have the whole. If you receive the body of Christ, you're receiving the whole Christ. Okay? So where you have a part, you have the whole. It's like when Neil Armstrong, right? Or not Neil Armstrong. Who went to the moon? Neil Armstrong, yeah, went to the moon, okay? What did he say when he, when he put foot on the moon? said, one step for man, one giant leap for mankind, right? When Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, all of humanity landed for the first time on the moon, right? We didn't need to have all the people there. The principle is where there is a part, you have the whole, okay? So there are parts of, these are relics, there are parts of the saints or blesseds or servants, but we have the whole of the person there. And the realization of these relics is actually the most astonishing thing that I found when I uh, provided these was uh, the St. Polycarp was in the second century. And he says in his writings, he says that the faithful disciples took up bones which were more valuable than precious stones and finer than refined gold and laid them in a suitable place where the Lord will permit us to gather ourselves together as we're able. Right? Way in the beginning of the church, they were already doing this. They were saying, those are the bones of that holy person. Let's put them in a place where when we all get together, and so the altar. That's why they're in the altar. That's why they're under altars in most places and in most churches. And it's not only something that we see in history, but we see it in scripture. Um, the second class relics, it says the apostles performed many signs, this is from Paul, and wonders of, or in Acts. They performed many signs and wonders. All the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one dared join them. Nevertheless, more and more women and men came to believe in the Lord and increased their numbers. As a result, people brought sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them. Right? Second class relic. Third class relics, Acts 19, 11 through 12. God did extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs and aprons were carried away from his body to the sick and diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. This is scriptural. This was happening right in the early church. They were saying, oh, I'm going to take this and I'm going to touch it to that. And then when I take that, the power from that comes. And it worked. I think for me, the situation, though, isn't necessarily whether it works or not, is the fact that I want to see it work today. I want to know that it works today, right now. I want to know that people's lives are changed because of relics. 
I couldn't get the video up, but I'm going to play this. This is a priest across the street from Rochester Mayo Clinic. A small city in the Midwest with a large medical center that employs 38,000 employees. Our parish, St. John the Evangelist, is neighbor to this medical center. And therefore, we interact with thousands of people every year, families and patients who come to the city for the grace of healing. And I have come to know this place as a miracle institution. Recently, Joe came with his wife and family to receive a second opinion about a brain tumor, and he needed surgery. After consultation, he decided to have the surgery at the Mayo Clinic. The procedure was very demanding as they went up through his nostrils to remove the brain tumor. They informed Joe and his family that they were not able to take all of the tumor, but had to leave some because it was attached in a complicated way. This resulted in his need for additional treatment after some healing. He returned to the Mayo Clinic to finish the treatment process, and they took an MRI which showed no portions of the tumor that had been there when they did the surgery. They called in another consultant to review his information and the entire case. They were puzzled and didn't point to a miracle, but concluded they didn't know what had happened. I asked Joe, and what is your experience? His immediate response was, my wife and I spent hours in your church begging through the intercession of San Ricardo Pampuri. He was the real doctor for us. The mystery had arrived at the periphery of the world. Joe, whom I knew earlier and who lives the charism, asked me to recall for him how the statue of Ricardo ended up in our church. So before he tells this story, you realize there is someone who is healed and he's attributing it to a statue. Now, he's attributing it to interceding with St. Richard, San Ricardo, a statue that is at St. John the Evangelist Parish across the street from the Mayo in downtown. And now Joe's saying, oh my gosh, I was just healed of cancer. I think it happened through that. How'd that statue get there? Right? It's kind of like this. Sometimes you don't really care about something until a power comes through it, and then all of a sudden you want to know everything about it. So, he's going to tell the story, which is even more miraculous. As many of you know, this Italian doctor who died in 1930 and was canonized by John Paul II in 1989 was a dear saint friend of Father Giussani. In 1999, I visited Giussani, and at that time, I had been diagnosed with cancer. After our visit, which was focused on Studium Christi, a group of priests that was generated in following the charism, we went to pray for Father Giussani at the tomb of San Ricardo. Vita was part of the group. A memorist was with me from Rochester, and I had told him about my cancer. And together we prayed through the intercession of San Ricardo. As I was returning home, to the U.S., I experienced an incredible certainty that I no longer had cancer. After some weeks, I returned to the Mayo Clinic for a biopsy, and everything was normal. I no longer had cancer. 
and it has never shown any sign during these past 15 years. And that was 10 years ago. This is a real person who is alive, who has flesh. And I sat on an airplane with that guy and he told me the story of being in an airplane in which he had certainty. And he was very nice about saying he just didn't go back to the doctor. He actually was so convicted that he didn't have cancer, he didn't even respond to their phone calls. He just missed his appointments. And finally, they got after him so much that he finally went back. And he was like, I don't, you're not going to find anything. And they didn't. And when that witness, that story of healing, got back to the priest in Italy, he had that statue made and shipped from Italy to Rochester, Minnesota. And that's the statue that's in your handout of the physician. And interestingly enough, San Riccardo Pompori was a physician at the Mayo, and now he's there in that statue at the Mayo Clinic. God is doing miracles today through flesh. Blessed Carlo Acutis is here because he was a young teenager who allowed God to do something miraculous for him. And in the midst of his video games and all of the things he liked to do, the Lord was calling him to the Blessed Sacrament. And so he would stop into churches and his mother, who wasn't really faithful, would always have to take him with and he would always go and he would always go visit the Blessed Sacrament and then he'd go to school. And he had such a devotion to the Blessed Sacrament that uh, at a certain time in his life he put together that exhibit on Eucharistic miracles. When you see the Eucharistic miracles, you have to remember, oh my gosh, this was a teenager that did this. Right? And then he died from cancer. So the miracle isn't always that you get what you want. The miracle is that you allow God to do what he wants through you. And what was better, that Carlo Acutis got a few more years or that this Eucharistic miracles exhibit got all over the world and now young people have a witness that makes them believe I too can be an instrument of God. Right? Look at the pictures. How many of you are wearing tennis shoes? Stand up if you're wearing tennis shoes right now. Stay standing or stand up if you're wearing a hoodie. Stand up if you like to play video games. Well, that kind of left all of the high school kids. (laughs) You can be seated. Holiness is not beyond us. What happened through St. Peter can happen through you. It's a matter of faith, and it's up to God to decide how he wants it to be done. But do we believe that it can be done? 
I believe it can because I hear it and I see it and I know that sometimes you do too. But I do believe that we live in an era kind of like St. Augustine did. St. Augustine had a woman cured of breast cancer at the Easter Vigil. She was baptized, she went into the waters and she came out and she was healed of breast cancer. And then he found out later on that she hadn't told anybody about it. And he chastised her. (laughs) He was like, what? Jesus does this through you and then you're quiet? How is the world supposed to know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who wants to save them too? If they don't know miracles are possible, and miracles have always been a sign in the church of the holiness that is possible. And those miracles sometimes are because you have the, are the recipient of them, and sometimes it's because you are the instrument of them. And maybe it's not you, but maybe you know someone. I want to be a little like St. Augustine. Expect something great from God. And if he gives it to you, share that with the world. There's a reason that the church ended up in Rome. Because it was the center of the world at, at the time. Now, what do you do to get to the center of the world? You go on YouTube or make a podcast or how about Snapchat or Instagram? You guys are the center of the world and your heart is a place of flesh that matters to God. And so in your baptism, He came to you. Might we recognize the many ways he comes and ask that through the intercession of Blessed Carlo Acutis, our young people will continue to grow in faith, that all of us will receive miraculous things in our lives, and that no matter what happens, we might be with Jesus Christ in the life to come. There's a whole list of saints that never produced one miracle, but they were holy for other reasons. And only God knows the reason that he wants you to get holy. Might all of these people help us in this journey. What might you expect as you walk around uh, from this? What might you do? As you start, uh, you can start over here. There's arrows that kind of lead you around. And you can go around the church building. And then you just make your way all the way around. And then the last station is here with Blessed Carlo Acutis. Um, As you go, um, ask for prayers. Ask for help. Just be open. Don't force anything. Um, Maybe you'll have a thought come to mind. Maybe a person will come to mind that you can pray for. Right? Maybe something will happen. Right? I went to a big Eucharist miracles exhibit one time, and one of my friends had like an overwhelming fragrance that because of one saint, and they became friends. And then I left. I'm like, how come I didn't get a fragrance? (laughs) Right? So that's part of it too. Uh, If you want, you can pick them up. You can look at them. Feel free. You can kiss them, but I think maybe uh, you don't have to. Uh, I don't have any cleaners or wipes or anything. Um, But uh, there's a great uh, tradition of kissing the relics. And last thing I want to do on the Blessed Carlo Acutis is I want to show you uh, a way, the ways in which they are uh, authenticated. So 
So you can see probably just a red dot, right? But this is a wax mark, and then there's string on the back of it. And the wax mark is probably from the Diocese of Turin, where he was from. Um, oh, it's from the Diocese of Assisi, okay? And that then is the authentication mark. There's sheets that come with every relic that recognize the authentication of them and have both a signature and a seal they should have uh, ensuring that these are real. Okay. So these are certain ways in which the church uh, recognizes these things. It used to be much easier to get them. The church has become much more, I think, in the age of electronics. They don't like the idea of them being like sold or the, things like that. So they've, uh, they're very, not very easy to get. Um, but uh, if you do get them, you should have papers, and then oftentimes there's a seal on them um, to, to certain degrees. So at this point, I'm just going to give you guys free time. Uh, I appreciate the uh, uh, opportunity to share a little bit of this with you. Um, I hope that you find a friend among these, right? and then go look on YouTube and find out what they've done, and go look at miracles that have happened. Uh, and more than anything, more than anything, I just desire that we all know that when the world needs to look to Jesus, they should look to us. Do you believe you have power? The baptism isn't just a thing you got. And then when they say, hey, but you're like, uh, got problems too. Say, yeah, I know, I'm still in the works. And God even works with broken people. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The one who received the ultimate grace and lived a life of purity and assistance and continues to assist us all in growing closer to her son. We ask for her intercession and all the intercession of the saints and blessed and venerables and the angels as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I realize we don't all need to like get in a line and go sing. If you just go to a particular spot and then just go in the right direction. Does that make sense? So you can like fill all the spots and then just go around and around. Um, and if you want, we'll be here until eight o'clock. I'll probably just be here till 10 or something. If that, I'll be here as late as people want. So uh, if you want to come back too, that's fine. Great. Go in peace.